0: You're listening to The Trailblazers Podcast, episode 63 with Nick Childs. You're listening to The Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black
1: professionals.
0: Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello Trailblazers, how's it going today? So many of you guys know I'm a marketing and branding guy by day, that's my passion. It's something I've got a knack for doing very well. And I've been hearing from so many of you as both professionals and aspiring entrepreneurs about how I went about creating my brand for Trailblazers and how you can do the same. So I've been working on a couple free webinars which I'll begin in about a week. To share some of the info on exactly how I did it. And if you guys want to know more about that, make sure to hop on over to tbpod.com, join our mailing list, and I'll send you the webinar details in a couple days once that's announced. So in our last episode, number 62 with Perdita Felician, she gave us an action item to begin spring cleaning our lives, right, and clearing out spaces and relationships that were cluttering our ability to move forward towards our, our future goals and vision and i can definitely say i've got some of that done this week and it's as a result you know i'm feeling really great uh today and um so you know if you've heard perdita's episode uh i want to know you know have you put some of that into action yourself hit me up on twitter let me know at tbpod and if you hadn't had a chance go back and hit play on episode 62 after you hear today's conversation and, uh, you know, make sure uh, we, we we discuss how that's helped. Listen, today's featured Trailblazer is the award-winning journalist and best-selling author, Nick Childs. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Nick in a second, but please let me first share with you that today's episode of the Trailblazers podcast is being sponsored by the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. They're a national membership network that reminds us that there's no capital. Coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders we've been waiting for, the curators of the change we're seeking to see. To learn more about the groundbreaking work of the campaign for black male achievement, I want you to hop on over to tbpod.comslash blackmailachievement. So, guys, today's conversation is with Nick Childs, one of the nation's foremost chroniclers of African American life, culture, and celebrity, both as a best-selling author and an award-winning journalist nick co-authored several new york times bestsellers with icons like bobby brown reverend al sharpton and nick and kirk franklin just to name a few he also wrote six books with his wife Deneen milner who is the number is a two-time number one new york times bestselling co-author with steve harvey of the books act like a lady think like a man and straight talk no chaser as a journalist Nick has won over a dozen major journalism awards, including the 1992 Pulitzer Prize as part of a New York Newsday team. So, before we get into our conversation with Nick, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners. Uh, Handle is Mish Dion, uh, and she left a pretty dope review. On iTunes this week that reads, I love all of these podcasts and have been listening since you had Melissa Carter on your show last fall. I've set a few big, hairy and audacious goals and have habits of pulling defeats out of victory. As a result, I've started my day with a gratitude practice and I stop and check in with gratitude when I'm inclined to do that. Perdita really made it clear why gratitude is so crucial her points about what it means to be uh, set up for failure was on point I also loved setting 10 year and one week goals every guest is rich every show is amazing thank you Mish, you are amazing. And thank you so much for this review and your kind words. Guys, if you've not yet done so, please leave us a review over on iTunes. Your feedback and encouragement are much appreciated. It, it really allows me to continue to put names to these download numbers and all these numbers I see in our in our um, in our Libsyn account. And um, so reach out. Let me know. You know who you are. For, for as long as you guys continue to leave new reviews on iTunes, I'll continue giving shout outs, um, you know, that I see popping up there. Uh, one last reminder, I've posted the full notes for today's episode over at tbpod.com. And I'd love if you'd help me today to tell your friends and family about the Trailblazers podcast. Open up a WhatsApp or a Facebook message right now on share tvpod.com with some friends you know that would enjoy some of this content and just encourage them to go ahead and listen to an episode that said let's get set to receive some mission field from today's trailblazer nick childs hope you enjoy nick welcome and thanks for being our featured guest thank you good to be here so, you know, we all know you're an accomplished writer, but I'd love for you to start off and maybe share with us some of your hidden talents beyond writing.
1: Uh, that's a good one. Um, well, I think I'm a, 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 pretty, a pretty good artist, um, a visual artist. I did a lot when I was younger. I haven't done much in the last few years. It's one of those things that you imagine yourself going back to when you're retired and sitting on the porch of your luscious beach house, overlooking the ocean, and you know, painting that that beautiful sunset over and over again. So, wow. I'm I'm holding that one out there. But I'm it's it has the the, the talent. Like my father was a was who was a musician, was a great painter, and I think that it, the talent came to me and passed through me and my my all of my children. My um, son and my two daughters are also very, very good artists. So uh, there's kind of a, a family tradition that's going.
0: Well, art came through, creative side came through in another way, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> like you, my dad is also a creative. Uh, who you know, his by profession he's a chef, uh, but an amazing playwright, um, artist. Uh, a decorator, just an amazing art mind, right. creative, and um, I I I'm not one that would say I'm I'm as skilled as he is in the kitchen, but my creative talents came through in in other ways as well.
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you you talk about that because. For many years, I assumed that my writing voice was something that I had developed that had evolved over time with practice. I've been a a journalist and a writer for more than 30 years. Right. But um, I had occasion to read something that my father had written maybe like 10 years ago. And I was stunned because the voice sounded like mine. Really? and. I had never really I mean he's a musician who wrote all of his music and is the groups that he was in he wrote most of their songs so I grew up like watching him write but I had never read really like kind of long long prose that he had done and it was stunning to me that all this time I thought it was my voice and it was really you know you I'm just a conduit and it right. and, and you know it was it was quite a revelation to to understand how powerful is you know, genetics and, and these things that pass through us and make it, it kind of makes you gives you pause about how you are just a, a, a conduit for a lot of different things that are coming through you from your ancestors and that are passing on to your children, your progeny. Right. right. And it's interesting you say that, you know, as a musician, would
0: you say that's maybe where you developed the talent to, to be able to tell good stories and be a, a good storyteller?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's something there. I, I wasn't gifted with the, the, the music gene. Um, but again, that passed through me because my older daughter is a very talented musician. Um, but the the storytelling, the creativity, to be, the, the ability to use words to paint pictures, I think that that definitely is something that came through him. I, I grew up watching him do it. And started at an early age writing stories and i think that 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 that's clearly where where a lot of it comes from
0: wow you yeah, know i <laughs> I think I'm I'm so-so at telling a great story, and I, I would say so because my wife is an amazing storyteller, and she has this great memory for remembering all things, going back to maybe like six months old, knowing the paint on a wall in a house she hadn't been in since. Oh my right? god! Um, and you know, and she loves to hear a great story, but <laughs> I, I I just didn't pick that that skill up. <laughs> you know, I'm curious to know, like, you know, if if you had if you had it to do all over again. And you had this amazing career as a journalist and a writer. Would you have taken a different academic path or are you pretty satisfied right now with the route you followed?
1: Uh, it's a great question. I mean, it, it's it's one that kind of gets reflected in the fact that my children are great writers. Um, my older daughter is about to go to college. She's a high school senior now and she was she went, wins writing contests all the time. But she's also interested in medicine. And we very actively encouraged the medicine and discouraged the writing. Um, So Mm -hmm. I guess that's one way of saying that I, I in observing how our society has changed over the last 30 years, how my profession has changed, how the public perception of my profession has changed. I probably would would not have chosen this career path. If I knew, right. if I knew then what I know now, I think that writers and the written word has been seriously devalued in our society. As basically now, everybody in some ways feels that they're journalists and that they have a, a, a public that is just anxious to hear every little <laughs> thing that they have to report on about their lives. Right. So I think that there is a a much less respect for what, you know, what I was taught to do as a journalist. That's very interesting.
0: You know, Nick, I'd love to. I was kind of hoping that you maybe would take us back with you for a moment uh, and right maybe take us back to a time where you you, you really feel that something you are working on right and it was a complete mess and i'd love for you to maybe share with us you know how you handle
1: that experience and the lessons that were learned from it um well there was um i guess about 20 years ago i was actively working for a newspaper in new jersey and i was covering a a story that was continuing it was the, the the class of 2000, we had decided that we would follow the same group of kids, eight kids from the city of Newark, New Jersey, and eight kids from Livingston, New Jersey. And so Newark was a very gritty, um, troubled urban center in New Jersey, and Livingston was about 15 miles away and very wealthy and so this was a way of us chronicling what was going on with adolescence, kind of on the cusp of the new millennium. And uh-huh. so I would write about as one story a week on one, one one of these sixteen kids, and it it became interesting because I learned a lot of things about my profession in the process of this. I had already been a reporter for um, a decade or so when I started this story, but um, I I already knew that there was a very big difference in how um, people, how poor people re-interact with the media and how wealthier people do. And poor people are much more open. You go into a lot of kind of difficult urban neighborhoods and people will very quickly tell you a lot of their business. Um, Mm -hmm. You go into the suburbs and everybody's behind closed shades. And so that was very much reflected in my reporting. I would follow these kids in Newark. And so these kids were in, we started when they were in eighth grade, then they were in ninth, 10th, 11th. The idea was the class of 2000 graduating from high school in the year 2000. And so we saw them mature and evolve and get into all kinds of different scrapes. I saw a the one, a girl in in Newark, basically over the course of a week, like drop out of high school. And like, you know, one one day she woke up and decided she didn't, she didn't feel like going that day. Then the next day, because she had missed A couple of tests, she decided not to go. And then the next day, because she had been been out two days, she knew it was going to be too tough. So she decided not to go. And by by the, so a week passed, and basically she realized that she was too far behind and she decided not to go back. It was amazing to watch. It was like watching a car accident in slow motion. Um, But also, what started to happen is I was reporting on a lot of the troubles and trials that the kids in Newark. were were going through. In Livingston, whenever a kid was encountering difficulty, the parents would not let me write about it. So there was a girl who was having emotional problems. Um, You know, it was actually, I think at some point had to be institutionalized. And they basically brought out their lawyers and said that you're forbidden to write about this. Another kid was... um, he needed a, a, an English tutor because he was brilliant in math but a lot of English problems. His mother wouldn't let me write about the fact that he was she had hired a tutor. Um, and so as a result, it was a very imbalanced series where if you were a regular reader of the series, you would get the idea that the lives of these kids in Livingston, who are mainly white, were perfect. And the lives of the black and Hispanic kids in Newark were extremely troubled. And wow. so I felt like I was furthering stereotypes in the process of this very well-intentioned pro um, series that we were doing. And so, you know, actually, I, I left the newspaper and never finished it. Somebody else finished it, but, you know, it was a, a, a very, um, kind of troubling time. Cause I was questioning a lot of what I was doing and whether there was any way of, you know, it was almost too late. Like by the time I realized it, um, the, that these patterns had developed, so, but it was, you know, it taught me a lot about, um, the media's responsibilities in, in kind of framing stories and how easy it is to further stereotypes and if you aren't kind of conscious and aware of, of how you approach these stories. Right. What are the biggest
0: gaps, Nick, between what authors probably should be doing and what you think they're actually doing?
1: Um, well, those in the, the nonfiction world, I I think... That kind of Google has made people very lazy because so much information is at your fingertips. You don't feel like there is an don't. impetus to, to for you to to do digging and reporting and try to go out into the world yeah. and find out what people are really thinking. I mean, we kind of saw that in the the last presidential election. Um, you know, there too many, too much reliance on polls and social media instead of really going out and talking to people Um, and so I think that therefore what happens as a result is that people become much too inwardly focused on kind of their conception of a story or important news is what is going on in their heads and their opinions about matters instead of kind of getting out in the world and interacting with people and living and Kind of letting the world wash over you and by osmosis kind of picking up a lot of um, strands of news and facts and interesting kind of tidbits that are going on in the world i don't think that people are kind of interacting with the world enough um, before they kind of call themselves writers i mean there's so much that i've learned over the years just watching people interacting with people uh, talking to people interviewing people and it, it only now, only after several decades have, have I started to feel like I maybe just started to acquire a little bit of wisdom. But I realized that the things that I knew when I was in my 20s and early 30s were very tiny little slice of, you know, what was really going on around me. Um, and for those who are writing fiction and telling stories, I. Um, Well, one, you should write as much as possible and and revise and constantly go back and and correct and and improve. The first time that you write something down, the first sentence that you put down should never be the last time that you interact with that sentence. There are inevitably going to be different ways that you see of doing it the next time you sit down. Um, I mean, in some ways, things that I write, you know, I feel like I'm never finished, but because I do it for a living, I, at, there's a point where I have to get up and walk away and hand it in, um, so right. I can so I can get paid. Um, but you know, there there is is there's just so many different ways of telling a story, and you know, I think that writers need to be as open as possible to you know to trying and experimenting with different formats and different approaches, um, and also to to, and this goes back to kind of getting on in the world. Um you know you have to, you're an observer. I mean writers are are kind of watching observing the world go by. It's interesting when people talk about our last president and they say that he had the temperament of a writer because kind of instead of being in the midst of things, he often seemed like he was kind of standing back and observing things and that's kind of what writers do um, and so I would encourage people to just kind of be more of an observer like you know don't feel like it's your responsibility to immediately fire off like your opinion on every issue. You know, it's okay right. to kind of sit back and, and and observe and and take things in and, and, you know, kind of let the wisdom come to you.
0: Nick beyond accolades and awards, which probably could fit in a book for you, how else has your career created value in your life?
1: Well, um, it's an interesting question. I feel like if you can, find some kind of synergy between be, be, between the things that matter to you the things that kind of get you up in the morning and the things that you're doing to put food on the table then you should consider yourself a lucky person so as i have observed kind of the the ebbs and flows and the, the machinations of american society over the my my adulthood and the last 35 years or so, 30 years, I, I have been struck by how how painfully unprepared so many of my fellow young black males are. And so that lack of preparation, of course, kind of extends into their adulthoods. And so they, they have to go through a lot of changes in order to kind of cover that up. Um, and so it's become kind of a mission of mine to deal with the, the challenges that black males face in this society. Um, you know, it, 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 I have, I have a son, I have two daughters. Um, and so it's, it's been interesting to watch the differences in how they evolve, um, and grow into to adulthood. Um, and I think often the things that kind of concern, black boys um when they're adolescents or before their adolescence um are rarely the things that are going to 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 help them kind of thrive as adults and girls are much more able to seemingly focus in on the important things and so i feel like um you know as as I do more of my work as a, an author and as a journalist, I find myself spending more time writing about um, issues concerning black males, whether it's an education system, which is where I've spent a lot of my career, um, or the criminal justice system. I wrote a book called Justice While Black a few years ago on the criminal justice system um, with an, a, an attorney here in Atlanta. I've written, co-authored lots of memoirs with um, black males from Kirk Franklin and Al Sharpton and Bobby Brown and Deval Patrick, the governor of Massachusetts, and Eton Thomas, um, NBA player, and so I feel like I've approached kind of the the, the challenges of black males from a lot of different angles, um, and it's so it's the, these are questions that kind of keep me up at night, that keep me going, kind of get me out of bed in the morning. And right. I've had the opportunity to to spend a lot of my career also writing about them. You touched on the fact that you have a son and two daughters.
0: Nick, I started this podcast in large part because, you know, I wanted my kids to be able to, to see and hear positive black stories like yours right and know that they have value right i think there's so much in the media today that is negative um that is just put out there that they just don't see um you know positive quote-unquote role models right um, yet they're all around us uh just not not being seen in right. in the media right um and you know, as as they get older, my my hope is that some of what I'm I, the energy I'm putting into this would be able to to help them see something counter to what they may very well experience in society with all the racial tension that we have and that we experience that we've become desensitized to in the Black community, right, almost on a daily basis. Um, You've got kids that are much older than mine. I have a six and a two-year-old. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts and feedback on having
1: raised Black children in that environment. It's a great question. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Raising black children in a racist, capitalistic, uh, very self-centered, me-oriented society means that you can't let your their child rearing set to the default. the The default is you got to work every day. You work hard. You put food on the table. You check their homework. And you make sure that they're they're getting good grades, but let the, they're watching television, they're absorbing the culture without much filter from you. That is a mistake. You, you have to be extremely directly involved in their day-to-day lives. So you need to know what they're watching on television. You need to know what they're reading. You need to know what they're listening to. You need to actively bring them to... African-American museums and cultural events and Alvin Ailey and fences and all of the things that affirm us and affirm us in the most positive, kind of glorious ways that, that we can be and not have them be inundated by the things that drag us down. And so... I am a big fan of, of rap music and hip hop. I was there from the beginning watching it grow. But I yeah. can attest to the, the fact that if you have a steady diet of nothing but hip hop, you are not going to have the most positive impressions of your fellow African-Americans and particularly African-American females. Um, and so I think that you have to to, to be extremely involved in to, to filter and to explain. So if, you're, if your kids are going to watch reality television, they're going to watch Love and Hip Hop and Basketball Wives and these shows, you know, the... It, it, you could ban them totally, but they're still going to, to receive a lot of what's, what's going on on television through their peers and they're going to sneak and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's. I was just going to say, even,
0: even today, right? Like, I mean, they don't watch TV. We do. They watch YouTube or they they, they deal with their smartphones,
1: right? Right. Right. My, my, my daughter, my, my 17 year old daughter has a TV in her room. Um, but it actually I think it has like pictures hanging on it and, and like <laughs> I asked her, was she had like like trophies in front of it. And like, what, when was the last time you turned it on? And she couldn't even remember. So that, that, your point is extremely well taken. They don't even watch TV anymore. They're watching YouTube videos or they're watching stuff. They're watching TV shows, but it's on Netflix. And so, but you have to, to to be involved. And so you, you know, when Love and Hip Hop is on, you have, my wife watches it with my daughters and she's constantly pausing the DVR to talk about the scene that just transpired and the, the many ways that... What she said was ridiculous and how it's, you know, you are to do the opposite at every moment when you leave our, our home. Um, So the default doesn't work in this society. The default leaves your children um, inadequately prepared. It leaves them insecure. It leaves them not knowing who they are. It leaves them vulnerable, susceptible to having others who may, may come at them with hate or with, with disrespect. Um, be able to manipulate them and make them feel bad about themselves and if they don't know who they are and where they came from i mean that sounds like a cliche but it's it's really true um you know they are not going to be prepared to withstand kind of the hell that that they're going to be encountering in this society and so you you know you, you sit there and you look at them when they're they're 2 and 6 and 10 and 14 and you know that there're going to be many trials and tribulations that come at them because of the color of their skin because of how they look and so you should be thinking When they're two, when they're six, what could I be doing right now, this moment as a black parent to prepare them to be able to 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 have some armor to protect them, to protect their souls, to protect their sense of self when when they go out in the world? what books can I be reading to them? What books can I buy for them? What movies can we be listening, watching? What what music can we be listening to? Did, do they need to know who jo- John Coltrane is and Miles Davis is and Billie Holiday and listen to those things? And if they don't have to like it, but they need to know what's out there. They need to know that Ralph Ellison wrote Invisible Man and why. They need yes. to know what James Baldwin was thinking about 50 years ago when his words could be something that was written yesterday. um, These are things that are going to to, to build a a wall around them that will allow them to be able to withstand any storms and hurricanes that are going to come. And if you're not doing that, they're going to be out there being buffeted about. They're going to You know, your your daughters could be susceptible to some dude, you know, running all kind of game on them. You know, your sons could be out there um, being targeted and not knowing how to deal with it. Um, So you have a responsibility to do as much as you can to not. To, to move off the default and to move out of your own worries and concerns and think about theirs. I mean, you have this responsibility now. So it's not enough to just put food on the table and check their homework. You have to right. be you have to be protecting their souls and you have to be nurturing their souls and building building them up so that when they leave the home at 18 and walk out that door, they're going to be pre- pretty well prepared to withstand whatever comes their way and to to know most of all that they have a mother and a father or just a mother or just a father who loves them dearly and will do anything for them, and it's somewhere that they can always go back to
0: I'm speechless, and I'll leave that there. I won't even touch it. that was fire um, i I ask anyone listening to be sure that you share that nugget of wisdom with someone who needs to hear it um because there's a lot wrapped up in what you just said that a lot of people need to consume you know i'm i'm an active dad um trailblazers who listen to me know i'm all about my kids and um you know that's that's my heart man you know is is doing absolutely everything i possibly can do to make sure i give them you know, a much better uh, platform to run from than I had, right? Uh, especially in the world we're in today, with so much that we we as adults feel out of control with right now, with all that's happening. Um, you know, so Nick, think I appreciate that. You know, as we as we get set to um, to wrap up here, I'd love to pick your brain on a couple things. I can't imagine I usually ask. Or, listen, or, or guests to share a book that uh, is their favorite, right? But I'm sure you have many. So I invite you to maybe share, you know, a couple of great reads that have truly inspired you.
1: Well, the, when I was younger, the words of James Baldwin were extremely inspiring to me. Um, here was a African-American gay man who was, you know, not the most aesthetically pleasing man to look at. So you can just imagine the, the, the difficulties and challenges that he faced growing up in America. And he was able to surmount all of that with this piercing, piercing brilliance and, in insight. So the fire next time is a great example of that um, kind of an essay that he wrote to his, I think it was his nephew. Um, the, 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 a couple of his novels, um, if Bill Street could talk or Another Country, there are some great examples. Um, of course, there's Malcolm X, um, which everybody has to read, Black or White. It, it was the first time that I think I read someone who was, you know, he's been called this prince. I mean, there was just this, um, this, this strong. And passionate self-confidence and, and love of his people that came through. And, you know, we should all have that 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 love of each other and our people when you know when when we're adults. If if we did, if we all carried that around with us, you know, our society and our community would look like a much different place. Um the 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 work of Tony Morrison, um, particularly Song of Solomon. So I know that especially a lot of my brothers aren't necessarily all that keen on reading fiction, but yeah. sometimes fiction can be extremely important and transporting um, to kind of bring you to another world and to make you look at something differently. Um, yeah. And Toni Morrison definitely has that ability in Song of Solomon. It's just this, this, again, this love of her people. So what, something happened in literature before I started writing books, but it was kind of around the, the, the 70s, the 80s, like even before um, Toni Morrison with James Baldwin, a, a lot of his writing was basically explaining black people to white people. You know, that's what Ralph Ellison was doing. That's what Richard Wright was doing. But when Toni Morrison came along, it was like she was no longer writing for the white gaze. She was writing to to lift up and to celebrate and to inspire her own people, and she didn't really care whether white people came along for the ride or not. And you can kind of see that subtle difference in in the the kind of the celebration of blackness that you see in her work. And it's not always a, a, a positive depiction of every character, but you know, there's a love there, and it kind of a, a, a kind of an insightful. Um, rumination on, on what it means to be black and, you know, how you know that she would never choose to be anything but, um, so th- those are the, a couple of the three of the, the, the works that have had, kind of big impacts on me as a writer. But I mean, there have been some more recently, like there was a book that Colson Whitehead wrote, um, and this might be particularly interesting for for the brothers out there, um, called Sag Harbor. And it was a a hilarious book. I mean, Colson's a brilliant writer. This was a a take on basically growing up as an African-American male. Um, in the 2000s. And so it was this, this kid and his friends out in Sag Harbor in, in New York. Um, but it was just a really brilliant book on the, kind of the ways that Black males interact with each other. Um, so I, yeah. I, I love that book. You, you might actually
0: convert me into reading a fiction or two. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a shot. Uh, as we get set to wrap up, Nick, I'd love to have you share one action that our aspiring trailblazers listening in right now should take this week to help them blaze their trail?
1: I think that, that one, that you should tell the, the people in your life who are close to you that you love them, and yes. per- particularly the, the black boys that are around you. It's in, in a lot of my research and writing, the one thing that continues to come through over and over again is how seldom are black boys here from other people that, that that they're loved. We even have mothers who clearly love their sons who think that it's going to make them soft and that they're not going to be prepared to face the, all the, the, the the rough and tumble world that black males face if you, if you tell them that you love them and actually it's the opposite that the, the truth the, the more they feel love the more that they're going to be able to withstand you know the gang member who's trying to recruit them or you know the dude who's stepping to them claiming that you know he's been disrespected and all that stuff that we have to deal with out in the street when you feel like you have love back home all that stuff becomes a lot easier so Blazing a trail, raising your kids, telling everybody around you that you love them over and over again. As a black man, as a father, you can't do that enough. But also the same same as a woman, you know, tell that to your spouse, tell that to your kids, tell that to your siblings, tell that to your parents that we need to tell each other as much as possible that we love each other. Because it's basically it's all that we have. And, you know, in, in Trump world you know, there's not a whole lot of love that's flowing from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or anywhere in Washington. And, you know, I think we're over the next four years, one of the ways that we're going to be able to survive is, you know, to basically wrap our arms around each other and to hold on tight and to love each other. So true. Nick, tell us how we can stay connected to you and we'll go ahead and wrap up for today. Um, Well, I, I, my books are available wherever books are sold on in Amazon and other places. My website is nickchiles.com, where I keep um, a running update of the things that that I'm doing, my writings. Um, I have a, a, a Twitter account at Nick Wright, N I C K W R I T E. Um, and I think that that would be, be enough information to kind of be able to follow me. So, Um, you know, I encourage people to, to go out there and, and read some of my works and some of the books I've written, what others, and I got some great stuff that's coming down the pike now. So, um, you know, keep, keep your brother in your thoughts.
0: Absolutely. Nick Childs, thank you so very much for being on the this episode today with me. I know you're an extremely busy brother and I am just grateful that you chose to, to share some of your time and
1: some of your wisdom with, with our community. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Great questions. I really enjoyed it.
0: Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.